Good afternoon, evening, folks, and welcome to a special Halloween episode of the Slum Gullion. You just heard the Prince of Darkness theme, re-recorded by John Carpenter himself. That is off of his new album, John Carpenter Anthology's Movie Themes. He is currently going around the country performing his music live. John Carpenter performing music live in concert. If you have the chance, fucking go see him. Three time zones behind me is Scott. Happy Halloween, Scott. Happy Halloween to you, too. I'm very excited. This is one of my favorite holidays, because when you're a kid, people just give you candy. And when you're an adult, there's alcohol, which is adult candy. So I'm going to be drinking tonight. (laughs) And nothing can possibly possibly dent my bright shiny mood and unless and this of course this would never happen you had some kind of weird uh mind gamey kind of thing where you want me to think about something that really disturbed me and it's going to make my uh, whole day just kind of spiral down into the crapper but that would never happen two words kevin spacey oh jeez <laughs> You set that up so perfectly. Thank you, Scott. Oh, that's my pleasure. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say, all right, can I just say, I I, I needed, I I, I know this is a Halloween special, but I had to bring this up. I just, I had to. Can I just, as, as a gay man, that guy can, in the most non-polite way possible, eat a dick. Yes, not, the dick consumption would not be pleasurable for either party. It would be some sort of non-edible dick. Not that not the real dick is edible. Wow, I, w- I went in a place I didn't mean to go. Um, <laughs> I think you just said, yeah, let's just go with that. I sat there, you know, out of everything. That 14 been- years old. I'm sorry. That, yes. That just, yes. Here's, here's the thing. Go ahead. This, this really rankles me. Because well, for all the all the reasons that that any right-minded person is deeply disturbed by the idea of a man who was in his late twenties, I think he was twenty-nine or something, um, uh, drunkenly reeling into his bedroom after a party, finding a uh, a fourteen-year-old boy sitting there watching TV and thinking, "Ooh, dessert." I used to live in a building in Chelsea. It was one floor below a guy who was the New York coordinator for Nambla. Not oh kidding. my god! Not kidding. And his answering machine. Oh my god! If you remember, if you remember, answering machines had this rambling message: "You've reached the New York, well, whatever it was." I, I knew it at the time. I used to be able to quote it. I would hear this fifteen times uh, a night, and I would just think, "Just pick up your phone." And I would look at my watch, and I'd go, "So okay, it's like ten o'clock. It's way past all of your boyfriend's bedtime. So just come home." And I would just think, why, why Namlo? Why couldn't I live a floor below normal? You know, at least then I might have gotten a contact high. Oh, this, this way, man. I just got I just got contact skeeviness. The thing that gets me uh, the, the, that that rankles me above and beyond fucking everything about this is out of this is the first time out of all of this group. This is somebody that I actually liked and respected. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you couldn't have given a crap about Harvey Weinstein. Not in any way, shape, or... And honestly, not even really about Ben Affleck. But, you know, I, it's, it's, I have always been a huge fan of Kevin Spacey. And what really got me was the, oh, yeah, I might have done it. I was too drunk. I'm probably too drunk to remember. Oh, by the way, that's what got me right there. The, I was too drunk to remember. Oh, by the way. Uh, yeah, I think it was Wanda Sykes saying, no, no, you don't get to hide underneath the rainbow. Okay, I'm going to use my coming out the way Wonder Woman uses her bracelets. Reflect all this incoming gunfire. Well, you know what? You actually had those bullets coming. I don't think it, it would have been clue, The cl- utter cluelessness of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it, uh, it, it would have been bad, but I don't think it would have been as what the fuck are you doing if he hadn't done the deflection, if he hadn't have pulled a a truly Trumpian, as I said on Twitter, level of distraction with this. Yeah, that, that's and just thing. gone and just gone. Yeah, I might have done this. I was drunk. I was a horrible person and just owned it. Mm-hmm. And just owned it. You could have used the I was 28, I was drunk, I was horrible, I know that. And just said I was horrible and moved on. But no, he, he had to just go all just... Yeah. But today's a good day because it's Halloween. However, if uh, all life on the planet is extinguished, maybe we're not going to be around long enough to enjoy that. That's, yeah, no. the, that's the spooky Halloween theme for this year, kids. Will there be any more Halloweens? Will we be around next year to do a show? Who knows? Congratulations, Scott. You got me back for Kevin Spacey. Thank you. Took a while, but I think it was worth it. At least it was for me. Oh, well, well, and of course, your self-gratification is all that is important. Anyway, we have officially arisen from the muck. We are muckless now. We are putting we have, on our mucklucks and pitching yes. off. And we have showered, and now, as it is Halloween, I thought we should talk a little bit about horror films. Just a little bit, just a little bit. And everybody's talking about horror films. Everyone's doing their 31 days of Halloween, and they've got their lists, and everybody always has the same freaking lists. And I... But I thought I would do something that's a little bit different. We don't have a list, but um, Scott and I have each chosen one film for us to discuss that the way I described it to Scott is does what, you know, you think a horror film should. My pick is a film that genuinely, truly did what the name implies and horrified me. Um Scott, because I know my pick is going to could cu- cause a, a a little bit of ruckus in the comments when we get them. I'm going to let you go first. What is your Halloween treat? Well, I haven't given this a tremendous amount of thought, which I think is a good thing. It just sort of a uh, uh, popped into the top of my head choice. When you said you you said a, a film that does what a horror movie is supposed to do, and we were talking about this before we started the show, and I've always been confused about what a horror movie is supposed to do because i know people who say oh i love to be scared i don't i don't find that uh particularly pleasurable but it's fine a a, a well done scare in a movie gets my respect but it always seemed to me that horror movies are just there to be depressing and i say this because now you 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 were more of a horror geek than a sci-fi geek as you said and to me it's the exact opposite much more of a sci-fi geek because there is some chance for optimism and there were there were dark days in my life when when i i grasped 
at all the optimism I could find. And there was more of it to be found in, in science fiction. Oh, sure. There was the end of Silent Running that had me in oh, a fugue God. state for a week and a half. Oh, but, I can. How old were you when you saw that the first time? 12, 13. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a horrible experience and, and, a, and, a, and a really yeah, I can a imagine. case of extreme poor judgment on my part. I had no, but robots and spaceships and the dome, the geodesic domes were super cool. And I thought, how can this go wrong? Oh, anyway, <laughs> horror films were a different thing. I felt fairly safe with horror films because the ones that were depressing or just gross in the 70s when I was a kid were R-rated for the most part or were things that my parents would never let me go to. So I was my exposure to horror came almost exclusively through the television set. So I would I liked them. I liked monsters. I liked spooky things. Um, I liked the supernatural to a certain extent, and I would seek them out. And, and even if you didn't seek them out, that was all that was, that was all that was on, you know, the, the Saturday afternoon matinee around Halloween oh, yeah. anyway. Oh, so yeah. unless I wanted to go outside and play, which, of course, I didn't want to do, I was <laughs> going to watch this. It was this or, you know, let's make a deal. So. <laughs> oh, I remember their Halloween episodes. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> so the first horror movie that did what it was supposed to do, I guess, to me, okay. was Night of the Living Dead. And okay. Me, I was not prepared for it because it was in black and white. So black and white to me meant, you know, universal monster movies of the 30s and the 40s where, you know, the monster might die, but that was the saddest things got. You, you would feel bad for Larry Talbot at the end of The Wolfman, but... It wasn't something that would that would that would send you into you know paroxysms of sobbing, so I thought it was a black and white. It can't be that bad. Not only do most of the characters get eaten by zombies, which seemed unfair, yeah. although some of the characters were jerks in ways that you know I wasn't really prepared for people to be jerks. It's like they weren't jerks because they were played uh, by Douglas Dumbrell with his nose in the air and he was being snooty <laughs> about it. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't like 30s and 40s actory jerkishness. It was the primal jerkishness that asserts itself when people's lives are threatened, like l really legitimately threatened. And we all become horrible animals and we'll turn on each other. That was disturbing enough because that was a little too real. That whole movie had this weird documentary feel that I I was not used to. I was used to the staginess of the universal horror movies. But at the end of the film. The one likable guy, the guy you were rooting for, survives, and then he gets shot because they think he's a zombie. And I remember thinking, that's not legal. <laughs> you can't do that. How did what? He's no. It's I mean, when you're a kid, you're so obsessed with thing with what's fair. You know, it's like, oh, she got she got an extra graham cracker at snack time. That's not fair. Kids are uh, obsessed with the scales of justice and making sure that they're that they're absolutely level. And to me, this was the most unfair thing a movie could possibly do. And I was upset for days about this, because if the good guy can get shot, then I'm living in an absurd universe and 
adults cannot be trusted with anything. Certainly not with firearms. These are all lessons that have turned out to be true. A lot, my whole, actually, now that I think about it, a lot of my worldview has been shaped by Night of the Living Dead. A lot of the lessons I learned from it, the horrible, depressing lessons, they have been ratified and verified time and again. So, ha, huh, yeah, so that one, that one made me mad and depressed. Right. See, now I had, I had a very, very different reaction to the original night of the living dead um i did not get introduced to the romero film when i i did not like night of the living dead the first time i saw it well let let, let me add it one was thing. one let, of those let, let me add one thing real quick yeah. this this movie upset me so much and this is silly because i saw it when i was a kid i have not watched it all the way through since Wow. Oh, wow. That did it. That film did affect you. Okay. Wow. Wow. Now, what, um, when I saw it, I, it was, it was like psycho. I had already heard that it was supposed to be one of the greatest horror films ever. Okay. So I finally, I, I sat down to watch it and, um, I, I can't, okay. The best way to describe it is it was a bad prince and everything looked horrible. I honestly could barely see what was going on. A bad print of Psycho? No, of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, oh, yeah, because of the whole um, copyright screw-up where, yes. where they, they, yes. they didn't submit it to the copyright office. And so people were could dupe the hell out of it once uh, yes. video became popular. Yeah, oh, that's So that's for true. years, all I had ever seen were bad copies of this film. Because I would try again... Every couple of years, I'd be, I need to watch this film. I mean, it's, I don't know why I, I'm not getting it. What is it with me? I mean, I think I loved Dawn of the Dead. I think Day of the Dead is damn near fucking perfect. Mm-hmm. That, for me, is Romero's best zombie film. The original Day of the Dead, I think, is just fucking amazing. But I never got into Night, and I could never figure out why. But then, thanks to the miracle of Blu-ray, Night of the Living Dead got a high-definition remaster. And for the first time, I got to see a pristine copy of the film. And it had a completely different effect on me. In what way? Like, I, I actually got, you know, Romero, uh, Romero's use of shadows and light. I mean, he was pulling, he was almost pulling an F.W. Murnau level of light and darkness shadow in some of the, in some of the compositions of his shots. A lot of, a lot more thought went into the making of that film and the look of the film than I originally thought. Uh-huh. Because I never saw it because I saw these shitty copies and seeing this pristine copy of the film, I, I, I had a complete. I had a completely different reaction. I understood. I got it then. If that makes sense, it does make sense. It and and that's that's an important. I mean, that's why film restoration is is so important. You know, Mary and I went to went to the ArcLight Theater to see Bride of Frankenstein last night. Oh, uh, oh! And I've never seen that on the big screen. Oh my God! I, I hate you right now. That's I and I. You know, know what? Your your hatred is only making me stronger. As well, it should in this case, you bastard. How was it? Well, I haven't, I hadn't seen it on the big screen in probably 30 years, 25 at least. Mary had never seen it except on TV. Oh, right. And I was unfortunate, I was disappointed because I was hoping for some sort of restoration. I mean, it is James Whale's masterpiece, it is considered one of the jewels in the crown of, of, 
classic universal horror. And it was a very murky print. And it's a movie that could benefit from, as much as I loathe the the uh, um, George Lucas style uh, post-production, post-release tinkering that goes on, there are some... Uh, there are some effects that they that they could clean up. For instance, there, <laughs> there there's one horrifying moment toward the end when the monster uh, charges to the top of the tower as they're uh, preparing to electrify uh, the bride's body, and he chases Dwight Fry up to the to the apex of the battlement. Torches are are going, and and lightning is striking, and smoke is billowing. And as they cross the smoke toward the top. Both uh, the monster and Dwight Fry's Carl uh, become transparent. It's just an inexpert optical effect. It's it's just a, it's it's an artifact of the uh, the the imperfect state of the art back then. So they they could fix a few things like that and and fix it. But mostly it was just it was just a muddy print, and it's too bad. I mean the power of the film comes through because a lot of it is in the ideas and in the performances. Um, Ernest Thesiger, uh even even Colin Clyde dials it down and is more tortured than manic in this one. It's just I remember uh, that was that was the one thing the one well, one of the things that really impressed me about Bright over the first one was Colin Clive like his performance was just so much better. Yeah, and I think that's uh, you have to give Whale credit for that and you have to give him demerits for uh Frankenstein because he cast Colin Clive knowing he was this very neurotic actor and that he would bring that neurotic energy to Frankenstein and that would stand in for the mania of the character. Yeah. And you, because he was basically driven to, to uh, usurp God, he kind of right. had to be, he kind of, they, had to, they needed a performance that basically said, well, he's insane. Here he's much more tortured and he's he's tempted, but he's, mm-hmm. he's almost like an alcoholic. He's no 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 I can't even think of it. You know he's telling talking to Pretorius. Don't talk to me about it. He doesn't even want to picture in his mind the possibilities that, that Pretorius is is dangling in front of him because he knows, like an alcoholic, he's going to snatch at that drink and soon the whole bottle will be empty. Um, and tw- and at the end, it's interesting because he's much more he's much more like a scientist rather than a mad doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and because he's done it once, so you know, it's it's a very mechanical process. All right, do this, do that, lower the cosmic diffuser, you know, raise the kites. Blah blah. Um, I mean, he's he still has that that Colin Clive, you know, ball lightning kind of of energy, but he's giving a he's giving a much more nuanced performance. So it's it's a it's a it's a better film in in almost every way, and. It, cont- it contains one of my favorite moments in any universal horror movie where the whole first third uh, consists of people seeing the monster, him reaching out to them, them screaming and him either killing them in rage, killing them because he's reacting like an animal or accidentally killing them or them just running off. And the people who are not close enough to be killed by him shoot him. So it's just every every encounter the monster has or anyone has with the monster ends tragically and horribly and in death and screaming and then there's that scene in in a in a in a spooky crypt an underground mausoleum where ernest theisinger's dr pretorius has sent the grave robbers home and is sitting sitting there with the bones of, of the bride that they've dug up having a little picnic lunch with himself drinking wine enjoying a bit of cold chicken and the monster comes out of the shadows 
And he just turns and he smiles and says, oh, I thought I was alone. It's like, you are such a badass. I just love that moment. And it always gets uh, an, an appreciative laugh from the audience. It's, it, is, it, is, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal film. Um, but anyway, my point was that there were yeah. people behind us. People were talking. A lot of people stayed afterwards when the lights came up and talked about it, which is rare. That's cool. But, wow. But, but the only people who came were film fans. So it's not that it's not that surprising, I guess, in retrospect. But there were people who had, who had brought people with them who had never seen the movie. Oh, and wow. there were other people who, you know, had the Blu-ray. And it generally worked for everybody, but I really think that that time has not been kind to whatever print they showed. And that if you're going to 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 pay homage to a movie, you're going to pay respect to a movie uh, with this kind of lineage, um, a, a venerable film like this that stood the test of critical time for so long. Show a good print. If you're showing this movie because you have respect for the art form, then have some fucking respect for the art form and get a decent print because this is this this is the kind of thing you would see on Svengooli. Yeah, no, that that would yeah, I would have been very that would have depressed me if if I'd if I'd gone to see it and the, and the print was that bad. That would have really kind of made me just go blech. Uh okay. Um I'm going to jump on a movie. I have made jokes about this film before, but I've never actually talked about it. Okay, well it can't so, be it can't be a Serbian film then because we have talked about that. Have we talked about it? Oh yes, we talked about it. There was there uh, in, in the a uh, couple years ago, we, we had that Halloween gangbang. Um, we were talking about disturbing films. Uh, okay, that's okay. That's right. I completely forgot about that. Okay, then I'm gonna switch tracks here. Ha ha ha! Because I was actually gonna talk about a Serbian <laughs> film. I totally forgot about that one. Okay. Yeah. Yours was cool. a Ser- Yours was a Serbian film. Uh, mine was a, a 1964 uh, Olivia de Havilland. A James That's Bond movie called right. Lady in a Cage. So. That's right. Okay. Oh, okay. That works. All right, then. Then I don't have to worry about causing some issues. Um. All right. We're gonna go. I'm when I I remember um when I was a child. The and this is gonna be a standard movie, but this is the film that did to me. I think what uh, Night of the Living Dead did to you as a kid. Well, those are the rules of the game. And actually, this is this is pretty fitting. Um, the original Halloween. Oh, how old were you when you saw it? I was maybe ten. It was the first time it was on TV. Ah, and I remember this vividly. Mom wouldn't let me watch it. She sent me to bed. And I don't Wait, know. I think it was your, high school. Your mom wouldn't let you watch it. I had school the next morning. Oh, okay. You, so it was a matter of staying up late because your mom would let you would take you to yes. horror movies. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, she took me to the drive-in to see Halloween too. But no, it was a school night. But this was after this, of course. But um, I wound up actually sneaking downstairs <laughs> and watching the t- watching it from the stairway. Oh, there, there, there's a piece of Americana that deserves. Oh, a, absolutely. That deserves absolutely. a Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah, I was sneaking it. I, I was sneaking it while she was watching it. But um, I remember one scene in particular. And I, I, I watched, I didn't get to see the whole film. I missed the very beginning, but I saw. I got to see the bulk of it. And there was, there was like one period of like 10 minutes where I had to sneak upstairs because mom went to the bathroom. <laughs> but um, I remember 
vividly, even on TV, the scene towards the end um, when she thinks she's killed him in the closet and she's, and she's sitting by the doorway and in the background he just sits up and his, slow, his head slowly turns towards her. Mm-hmm. It's like the last 30 seconds of the movie almost. It's within the last two minutes. But that one shot of him sitting up and in a movie that had, you know, very loud, bombastic, brilliant music, there was no music in that shot whatsoever. It's just him slowly sitting up and then his head slowly turns towards her. And that gave me nightmares for two weeks. I had never, and I'd seen, I'd seen a lot of TV horror film. I mean, I'd seen a lot of the Universal films on TV. I'd seen um, a couple of, oh man, you'd seen Gargoyles. Yes, I had seen Gargoyles by that point, but I, I, I remember that one shot just absolutely, genuinely terrified me. And this is a testament to how good Halloween is. Is um. Every time I watch it, and that is a film that I do watch on uh, at least once a year, the last half hour of the film still makes me tense. I know the film like the back of my hand to a degree. Um, I could, if I wanted to be a snooty, analytical, you know, pretentious douchebag film student, I could go into nuances about the filmmaking techniques that John Carpenter used. But... Still, the last half hour of that film just genuinely just makes just sends the chills up my spine from the moment that she starts walking next door to when she first finds the bodies and all hell breaks loose. Uh huh. The moment that she starts walking across the street with her hands in her pockets. That's right. I remember that her hands are in her pockets and she's walking across the street. That's when I just start going, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I hate that shot. That shot makes me so okay. mad. Because, okay. because of what it did to filmmaking. Because of that shot, every single horror movie from then on had to have a fake kill of the monster. Joe Bob Briggs used to talk, say, yep, uh, yep, yep. Mo- mo- you know, the old, in the old days, like uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Lee Van Cleef shoots the Rheosaurus uh, with a radioactive isotope and it keels over credits. That's it. The Joe Bob Briggs rule was, Monsters dead, movie's over. After Halloween, Monsters dead, 10, 15 more minutes of fakey crap that you know is coming now because it's obligatory. I don't want to blame a movie for its own success. It's unfair that I hate that shot. But yes, yes, it is. It but I, I see your point. Thing, I, do, I do see your point. There was That killed... That killed any sort of any sort of creativity because there is no chance from then on for the death of a killer, death of a monster, to have any sort of resonance, to for there to be any sort of elegiac moment of reflection or or sympathy for the victim. The, the, all, all it is is oh well, how are they gonna, you know, how are we gonna have the fake scare where he comes back to life? Well, like they like they said in Scream Two, they had that whole conversation at the end of Scream Two. I don't, I'm not, sh- I don't remember Scream Two. As well, you shouldn't. The only reason I re- I re- I remember anything about it is because they did a CinemaSins about it fairly recently. Hmm. So I saw, but I, the other thing. Speaking of Halloween, um, one of the thing I just saw an interview with John Carpenter talking about the new Halloween film that he's executive producing and probably scoring. This whole scoring he thing has, is weird. 
I, I had no. I, had I, no I fucking love it. I, I hope he does it. I would love to hear him do new Halloween music. All right. Well, if he if he starts anyway, if he starts doing if he starts doing like Dylan covers on MTV Unplugged, I'm out. Un, uh, understandable, completely understandable. But um, according to uh, John Carpenter, the one thing that he said about this particular Halloween is it is ignoring every single other sequel, and this is the last Halloween film. Yeah. So you say. I exactly, especially, but uh, but the if fact it that makes he came money, back the, for this one, I agree uh, with you. I know, I know. You know what? You know what would be funny? What would make my day was if John Carpenter says, "You know what? I've kind of been pigeonholed, and and I'm a victim of my own success. But I'm just going to be out there. What I've always my my first love has always been polka, and I'm just going to be doing polka music from now on. And any movies that I'd make from now on." They're horror movies, they're suspense films. They'll have an all polka score. You see now, okay, somebody out there, hey, do me a favor, take a clip from Halloween, put some polka music over it. Please do this. <laughs> Someone do this. Take a scene from the end of Halloween, somewhere in the final half hour, and put some fucking polka music over it. That would be awesome. Now, I have to admit, I'm a little bit upset that this is ignoring all the previous sequels, if only because I really, 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 as 90s as the film was, enjoyed Jamie Lee's return in H2O. Or, I really liked Halloween Water. I enjoyed that film. Um, and I really liked the ending of it. I'm ignoring the film after that. But I am, the fact that it's ignoring Halloween 2 as well, which usually that's considered canon, for lack of a better word, um, I'm... Really intrigued to see what they do with this. And I mean, hell, they got Jamie Lee Curtis back. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. Out of all of the Halloween films, this is the first one in a long time that I'm like, all right, I've actually got some expectations here. And that kind of creeps me out. But with his involvement, who knows? Who knows? I'm going to be optimistic on this one. It's been a while, but I am going to be optimistic on this one. And I know Jamie Lee Curtis loves the character. Yeah, she said something interesting once. She, she got, you know, the usual amount of crap that that women who have in the industry have done any kind of nudity get. And she she's a she's a slender, busty woman. So she's like like like, like Helen Mirren. <laughs> this Shakespearean actress who would get asked about her tits um and jamie lee curtis said you know i did one nude scene in a mainstream film training places right and got basically you know treated like cheesecake for a, lo- a long time after and, and dismissed in the industry because of that but the the films that get the most disdain the horror films i made never did nudity i always played smart self-sufficient girls who had too much respect to do a nude scene and nobody asked me to do anything demeaning in them. So she has, she said she has more affection and pride for the so-called scream queen B films she made than most of her mainstream Whoa. Hollywood output. Sorry about that. Did you hear that? No. What happened? Oh, I just had this weird noise just pop out into my into my speakers. I didn't know if that carried over or not. Sorry. Well, there's probably a killer in the house with you. It's very possible. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Ha 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 ha. 
No, that that doesn't surprise me at all because I know she she has mentioned on more than one occasion, like I said, her affection for Laurie Strode in particular. So, I mean, as long as she doesn't eat any yogurt during the film, I'll be happy. And I'm sure you've seen uh, on, on YouTube and elsewhere where somebody somebody did the the necessary work, the kind of the kind of yeoman labor that holds us together as a culture, and took all of her Activia commercials and put Michael Myers in the background. No. You, oh, you haven't seen those? They're worth. They're worth looking. They're worth worth finding. No, I will. I will hunt them down. That 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 is an absolute hoot. It's, it's actually right. kind of. It's actually kind of redundant because if Michael Myers, if you turn around and see Michael Myers, you're not going to need Activia to shit your pants. <laughs> All righty then. Um, we will. Uh, thank you, folks, for joining us on this Halloween special. We will see you again shortly with another episode of The Slumgullion. And if you haven't yet, you really should go to the website and check out our new movie cruise, Blanche Ramirez and John Zur's rendition of a reading of Scott Clevenger's dissection of Exorcist to the Heretic. I'm by his book.